Our reading this morning is an excerpt from Magnificent Obsessions, which is by Reverend Dean Starr, who was the minister of this congregation from 1977 through 1982. Does anybody here remember Dean Starr? Was anybody here? That's really cool. That's really cool. I found it in a book of writings of his that Nathan gave me last week. So this will be shared by Peggy Homer. The universe seems to operate on evolutionary principles. If so, we humans are the accidental results of a process that is neither intentional nor self-aware. What does this do to our self-esteem? Interestingly enough, I still love with an overwhelming sense of cosmic companionship. I think this stems from my conviction that I am made up of the primal stuff of the universe. The atoms in my hands are co-eternal with the universe itself. While I am a unique and very temporary configuration, the elements of this configuration are eternal. Someday the configuration will disintegrate and the elements will return to the vast pool of energy in which we humans dwell. This awareness gives me a welcome sense of cosmic identity and self-worth, I am a happy person. However, in the final analysis, I am convinced that we finite creatures are shrouded in so much mystery that we will never understand the nature of the sacred and that we must approach the great unanswerable questions of life with humility. Regardless of our hubris and pretensions, we will never be gods. This does not obviate the pleasures of our journeys. In fact, it infuses them with zest and expectations. So my friend Elliot recently turned four years old. And he started going through a phase where he's become really excited about outer space, which is awesome because I'm also really excited about outer space. <laughs> and so his mom, a friend of mine, texted me, Elliot is going through an outer space phase right now. And I told him that you know a lot about it and he's really excited to talk to you so you can teach him all that you know about outer space. Awesome, I thought, I do totally know a lot about this. I'm so gonna teach that four-year-old everything I know and then we're gonna play with his space Playmobil and it's, it's gonna be awesome. But you see, I had forgotten how much my friend Elliot liked to ask why. Because back in the summer when we used to hang out every day, I made a game of it, trying with each successive why to really get at what the answer to his question was. I liked doing this because it forced me to think about things that seem so normal to me. Otto, why is my mom taller than you? Because adults come in different sizes? Why do adults come in different sizes? Well, because I think maybe, maybe my, my parents are smaller, they're, they're shorter than your mom's parents. Why are your parents probably shorter than my mom's parents? 
and so on. You can imagine, you can imagine how this went. I would have thought that after six month, months, he would have grown out of this phase, and those of you with children will not be surprised to learn that he has not. So Elliot and I were hanging out, and I asked him if he knew the planets, and he names them for me, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Sorry, Pluto lovers. I'm impressed with this memory, and I've always been, but then he turns the tables on me and starts asking questions to me. Otto, why are there planets? Okay, I think to myself, I've got this. I understand the universe. <laughs> okay, so planets are made up of rocks and dust and stuff, and that all stays together because of gravity. What's gravity? It keeps us on the earth right now. It's what stops us from floating up in the air. It's what makes a ball fall to the ground when you throw it. Why does it do that? Because there's a force that pulls everything together called gravity. <laughs> but why do we have gravity? Okay, so every time I play this game with Elliot, there comes a point where I just want this to yell at him because that's the way it is. So I finally just answered honestly by saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure why we have gravity. And though this might seem like a normal exchange between an adult and a child, because Elliot just shrugged and went back to playing with his Playmobile, I was meanwhile having an existential crisis precipitated <laughs> by the laws of physics. So like anyone who has questions about the world in 2017, I went home and immediately Googled the question, why do we have gravity? And this yielded a whole bunch of interesting and thought-provoking responses. Through this, I learned that gravity is not best described as a force, as I said to Elliot, but as a consequence of the curvature of space-time as a result of an uneven distribution of mass slash energy according to Einstein's theory of general relativity. Which is great and all, but I, I barely, barely understand this. And I have 27 years of life and two years of college-level physics on Elliot. This is definitely not going to make sense to a four-year-old. But the thing is, the truth is, that even if I did fully understand this, even if I was a physicist or an astronomer or a cosmologist, I feel pretty sure that I wouldn't be satisfied with that answer. This answer that gravity is caused by the curvature of space-time, because it still doesn't answer why we have it. Ursula Goodenough, who is one of my favorite theologians and also an evolutionary biologist, summed this up well in her book, The Sacred Depths of Nature, when she talks about the great mystery of why there is something rather than nothing at all. And this question, this question of why there is anything at all is a question that has plagued me for as long as I can remember. And in our reading today, you heard, it's a question that seems to have plagued your former minister, Reverend Dean Starr. And one of the best things about being human is not only that we can have these questions about our existence, but that we can make theories about them, and we can study these theories, and we can create new hypotheses, we can observe, and we can use the scientific method. Religion, throughout history, has always been, in part, about cosmology, the study of where we came from and who we are. 
As human beings started to wonder about our origins, we began to create theories about our environment, about our world, about our universe. And for most of human history, many of these theories and ideas have been untestable. The Bible, the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures, for example, describes a theory of the universe in Genesis chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. God is said to have made the dome that separated the waters that are under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. And God called the dome sky. So the waters of the earth were separated from the waters of the heavens with a kind of inverted bowl over our flat earth. With God and heavens existed, God and the heavens existing in the water beyond the dome and all of humanity existing underneath it. And it was all created by God. These days, cosmology tends to be the realm of scientists. And I'm sure you're familiar with the current prevailing cosmological model, the Big Bang Theory, the theory, not the TV show. <laughs> the rough gist is that about 14 billion years ago, a very hot, small, dense singularity expanded very quickly to become our expanding universe as it is today. But the thing about the Big Bang Theory is that it doesn't exactly actually explain how or why the universe was created. No, it's actually a model of the history of the universe. It used to be really tiny and it exploded into this vastness that we have today. And I'm talking really tiny, like atoms couldn't form. Like the universe was inside something that was smaller than my hands. But before that, before that moment that the singularity exploded, we don't really understand what happened. We don't understand how or why that was created. And so my friend Elliot's question about gravity quickly pulled me, gravity pun, <laughs> quickly pulled me back into an existential slump that was prevalent for most of my teenage years. Like, why is gravity a thing at all? Why are the laws of physics what they are? Why is there anything at all? In fact, the fact that there's something just doesn't make sense. I don't get it, and I want so desperately to get it. And you see how this line of thinking kind of cascades. For me, if I spend too long in this, in this frame of mind of, oh my god, why are we here, I can easily descend into nihilism. This meaningless, this feeling that life is meaningless. It's just random that we're here. There's no meaning or purpose behind it. So why does it matter what I do? It's all meaningless anyways. So this reading earlier by Reverend Dean Starr where he talked about the questions of the universe being unanswered, I get it. And I read another one of his sermons recently and he also wrestles with, wrestles with the same question around evolution. If we are a result of random mutations of evolution, then what's the point? How do we make meaning in our lives? And so this is why I think it's so interesting that religion historically has not simply been about theorizing about our origins, but also about creating meaning and examining the ways in which we act in the world. If there's a creator God or gods, then surely that creator must have a purpose for our lives on earth, an idea of how we might behave. But these scientific explanations of the history of the universe, they leave much to be desired in this realm. Now, if you've watched the show Cosmos, A Space-Time Odyssey with Neil deGrasse Tyson, which is one of my favorite spiritual texts, you might have seen the cosmic calendar that he talks about. 
If you think of the all eternity of time from the Big Bang to today, if you think about it as a calendar, with 1201 on January 1st being the birth of the universe, and right now being December 31st at midnight, human be beings came on the scene about two minutes ago at 1158. So speaking for myself and everyone in this room and everyone currently on the planet, it's been like, snap, that's it. We're barely a blip on the radar screen. Or as my dad used to say to me when I was a child, you know nothing but a grain of sand on the great beach of life. And when he said this, I imagined myself as this tiny speck of sand on the vastness of a beach. So why does anything matter if I'm never going to know anything? And you see, this line of thinking can bring you to some difficult places. Why should I care about people? We're all just meaningless atoms. Why should it matter if there's injustice in the world? Humans are barely anything in the scheme of the universe. I know for me personally, I had to almost separate out these parts of my life and my brain. When I started asking too many of the why questions about the universe, I'd fall into despair. I had to find my meeting somewhere else, separately. I felt in awe thinking about the universe, but it didn't make me feel particularly inspired to do justice work or to be a better person or to treat others as they want to be treated. Here's the thing I missed. Those why questions don't just apply to the universe. Those why questions apply to everything we see in life and take for granted. So Elliot and I were on the tee one day because at the time Elliot was going through a train phase. And the announcement came on the radio, on the, on, the, on the loudspeaker, and it said, no smoking, please, and thank you for riding the tea. Otto, why does it say no smoking, please? Oh, boy. <laughs> now he's going to have to explain smoking to a four-year-old. So I tried. Well, Elliot, some people, they, there's this thing that they, they, they put it in, the, in, in their mouth, and, and and it makes some smoke, and, and there's a, and it's a smell, and we don't like it. It's not, it's bad. <laughs> okay, so Otto, so why is there like a thing, and people, they don't like it, and, 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 why, and why is it bad? Well, well, well it's, 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 some, people, some people like it, but it's really it's not good for you. It's not, but why, do, why do some people like it then? Oh, dear. I don't know. I just, I just couldn't figure out how to explain this, explain this to a kid that, that smoking was bad for you, and people did it anyways. And it's because it's really difficult to figure out these nuances of why about something when you explain it to a four-year-old who's not even my four-year-old. So, so, and it's not just smoking, right? It's, it's so many different things. For me, I realized that I just go on the tee and I filter out these announcements. So I suddenly found myself wondering about smoking in a way that I hadn't thought about in years, maybe since I was a kid. But think about how many other things we take in life for granted without asking why. Have you ever tried explaining racism to a child? It just doesn't make sense to them. Elliot just keep, kept asking me why. So what if we took our institutions and our social norms and we started asking deep questions about why? Why are there more white men in leadership positions in this country proportionally than other groups? Keep going on that question. Keep asking it. If you keep asking why, I challenge you to come up with an answer that wouldn't feel just as unsatisfying as the fact that we don't know what sparked the Big Bang.
sexism, racism. These are all things that we've constructed. It's made up. And because of these made up rules about who we are and what our places are in society, certain people have power and others don't have access to it. But the best part about these questions is that you start to realize that unlike the laws of physics, our unspoken rules for who should and should not be in places of power and privilege are changeable. We have the power to change them. So perhaps the gifts of if these questions of children, of these inquisitive four-year-olds in my life and in your lives, is, to under, is not necessarily to understand our universe better, but to examine the ways in which the things in our world can be changed and should be changed, because that's where meaning is made. The fourth principle of Unitarian Universalism is the responsible search for truth and meaning. This is a place where we can find that meaning. In realizing that some of these so-called truths that we have taken for granted do not have to be so. We can find meaning by examining the world that we live in. Even though the origins of the universe are so vast and beyond our knowledge, even though our lives on this planet are but a rip, blip on the radar screens, they are all of existence for us. Say what you will for humans putting themselves at the center of the universe. But for each of us, our lives, our precious time on this planet is all that we have. And we deserve to make as much of it as, and to live with, it, with as much purpose as if it was the entirety of our cosmic calendar. Let us search for truth in the stars and meaning in living out our lives in accordance with our values. And let us say together, amen. Amen. amen.